This podcast was originally the audio for a work of the same name for the Nearly On Red YouTube channel, found at youtube.com slash c slash nearly on red. Though not intended to be a standalone podcast, viewers frequently consume my videos for their audio content only, so I have duplicated my work in this format to hopefully save people a step. A full list of content and platforms can be found at nearlyonred.com or the short link nearly.red, N-E-A-R-L-Y dot R-E-D. Enjoy! Welcome to the Not Quite Daily Show, Summer 2018, Episode 8. Today we are looking at the first half of Planet With, and so we'll have spoilers from the first six episodes. The use of force and authority over this use has become a very visible debate in our series. Um, in this video then, I want to approach this theme from the side by using an analogy that parallels the complexity and difficulties of the subject. Today's argument is fairly circuitous, so please bear with me. Planet With is about drug addicts. Each of the members of Grand Paladin has a little glass vial full of crystals. Using these crystals gives them the ability to be something else for a time, to feel powerful, to feel in control. Several are given the choice between continuing to use their crystals or have the life they wish for, as shown in the illusions inside the sealing devices. However, most of them cannot give up their crystals and would rather shatter these hypothetical lives. But there are a variety of outcomes, just like there are a variety of paths for drug addicts. One of them manages to embrace the better life he sees. He has no more desire for the crystals, and immediately shifts to seeming more grown up and put together. He's motivated by the positive alternatives. Another of them gives the crystals up, not because of a positive alternative, but because she changes to see them as something negative in her life. Yet another stays in just so another user will not be using alone, and they can help catch them when they fall. Once the one they supported gives up the crystals, they do so as well. Most, though, only surrender their vials because an outside force, represented by Soya, takes them away. It's only when they do something that shatters their potential good lives that they get on his radar at all, in the same way that minor law infractions are often what bring addicts to the attention of law enforcement it doesn't always go so well. Heavy usage of the crystals can result in personality changes and hyperaggression. Two of them held on too tightly, resulting in a spiraling loss of control and increasingly extreme actions. One of them is saved because a friend forcibly interjected into her life. This is basically an intervention. And here, the authority, represented by Ginkgo, is aiding rehabilitation rather than enacting punitive measures. The other, though, is not so lucky even despite his own father urging Soya to intervene. Instead, he is eventually consumed by his usage, wasting away to nothing. A cautionary tale. Okay, not really. I don't really think Planet With is a giant allegory for drug use. Someone can interpret it that way, that's fine. There are no correct interpretations. The reason I ran through all that is because I think the series is about the use of force and questions about the freedom or responsibility thereof. But talking about monopoly of violence and coercion and so on is all very abstract. It occurred to me, though, that this subject shares some overlap with the problems faced by those who determine drug policy. 
The violence that our characters are capable of, thanks to the vials of dragon power, is not exactly analogous to drug use, but trying to prescribe a way to deal with that violence parallels the issues faced by authorities when it comes to the existence of drugs. This gives us a far more concrete parallel, and I think will help explore why the debate over force in Planet With is relatively complicated. You see, governing bodies want to exercise what's known as a monopoly on violence. That is, they want to be the ones to determine what constitutes a legitimate use of force. This doesn't necessarily mean they want to be the only ones to use force, but they do want to control who can use it, in what ways, and to what degrees. In other words, authorities think of force as a controlled substance in the same way they think of drugs. This is true in our own world, and it is central to the difficulty that Nebula faces in trying to police the universe. There are two parallels between drugs and force that I think are useful. The first parallel is the scale of variety. Drugs can run the gamut from the relatively benign, like caffeine, all the way to extreme things like meth or heroin. Likewise, force can range from a parent scolding a child all the way up to a nuclear warhead. Few authorities allow or forbid all instances of drugs or force. My government is no more likely to outlaw coffee than they are to authorize everyone to own an atomic bomb. Rather, an authority chooses somewhere along that scale to determine which examples are open to unlimited use by citizens, which are subjected to controlled use, which are limited to official or regulated use only, and which are strictly off-limits. Here's the trick, though. In our own world, there is no universal consensus on where that line should be. Should citizens own guns or not? Should marijuana be legal or not? And so on. To give you a real sense of how far this can swing, consider the cases of Portugal and Singapore. Both are secular states, and they aren't wildly different in size or wealth. Portugal is about twice the size of Singapore, and Singapore has not quite twice the GDP of Portugal. They're also both republics, and in the highest category of the Human Development Index. And yet, because each exists at the end of two very different cultural paths, they have wildly divergent drug laws. In Portugal, all personal drug use is decriminalized, and has been for a decade and a half. Drugs aren't legal, but you don't go to jail. In Singapore, drug possession over a certain threshold means compulsory execution. Get caught with, say, two ounces of morphine in Singapore, and you face a mandatory death sentence. Why such a disparity? Well, many reasons, but one of the central issues with drug policy is related to our second parallel, and is why I find comparing drug control and force control beneficial for our understanding. The second parallel is that the use of drugs and the use of force affects individuals in different ways. To start with drugs, we can observe that different people are more or less susceptible to their effects and are more or less susceptible to addiction. The drug most people are familiar with in this capacity is alcohol. Some people don't drink at all, or rarely, and some people drink every day. Some people mellow out while under the influence, some people become emotional, sobbing wrecks, and some people get very aggressive. And of course, some people never have an issue with regulating their intake, while others can become so addicted that they destroy their lives and the lives of those around them. No one with even cursory experience with the consumption of alcohol would believe that it affects everyone equally. You can imagine how difficult it is, then, to craft a single policy to govern all of those possible end uses. Any law could look too lenient or too strict, depending on which individual result you focus on, 
and which individual is doing the focusing. This, of course, is the very same problem with prescribing restrictions on the use of force, and is the whole reason I've chosen this convoluted drug analogy. Different people react differently to the ability to wield force. Some parents handle discipline of their children without ever raising their hands, some use uh, some mix of corporal punishment, and some have no idea where the line crossing into child abuse even is. Not everyone can be trusted to wield force over their dependents. Likewise with more official uses of violence. There are police and soldiers who adhere to strict discipline and rules of engagement at all times, and there are some who have beaten or killed with little provocation. And it turns out that just like with drugs, some people will find the use of force highly addictive. This isn't limited only to violence. I'm sure most of you can think of a boss or a teacher or a hall monitor who positively delighted in wielding authority over others. Exercising power for many people initiates a dopamine release very similar to the use of drugs and with a commiserate potential for addiction. Hitch such an addiction to a propensity for violence and you might have a real problem. There are people who can be trusted to own a gun, to grab a beer after work, or to be in charge of other people, and there are people who can't be trusted to do any of that. How do you aspire to write a single set of rules to govern those different sets of people? And who gives you the right? That leads us to the problem for our various factions in Planet With. Even if we only look at the specific example of the dragon's power, we have a number of different conclusions. Most of the members of Grand Paladin believe they are protecting Earth and want the power to challenge the invaders. Takashi wants to use the power to create a monopoly on violence for the whole planet, enforcing peace on all of humanity. The Sealing Faction believes that humanity's use of the dragon's power means they have the same desire for conflict as Sirius and should be sealed before it leads to destruction. The Pacifist Faction also believes the dragon's power is a problem, but does not think that humanity is beyond help and merely wants to take the power away and then watch over them. And then Soya cares not at all for the philosophy involved, he just wants to destroy every remnant of dragon power to avenge his home planet. In other words, it's complicated. Even if we only look at the Grand Paladin members, we'll see a variety of motives. Todorai literally believes he's protecting Earth, a natural evolution from being a firefighter. Miyu, though, wants to feel powerful. Yosuke seems mostly to want to support Benika, and then to support Takizo after she leaves. And Takizo wants to support his son, right or wrong, until the end. We have multiple reactions within this group as well. Judgment was content to give up the power in exchange for his fantasies and is now sealed. Benika gave it up of her own accord once she thought it might be abused. Haru, on the other hand, changed into another person entirely under the power's influence and subsequently lost all control. And while Takashi never seemed to lose control, he clung to the use of the power all the way to his own demise. Do you see why I find drug usage to be such a useful analogy? There was not a single reason they wanted the dragon's power, and not a single way they handled its usage. It also helps us understand why the nebula factions are not of one mind about humanity. Looking just at judgment, you might think humanity would welcome sealing. Look only at Benika or Yosuke, and you might conclude that humanity can be trusted to regulate themselves. And if you only look at Takashi, you might decide that Earth needs to be burned to ash. But this just leads to a different debate, which is by what right does Nebula create any policy or take any action against humanity in the first place? 
Sensei and the Genorissimo argued about this back in episode 3, where Sensei questioned the idea of choosing the fate of sealing for humanity. He implies that this is not a choice that should be made by a race that has chosen the evolution of love. The Genorissimo does not counter this directly, but does suggest that it's still a better fate than destruction. This gets an update in the sixth episode, when the Generalissimo and Shiraishi are fighting Takashi. The sealing faction duo suggests that they are there to seal away the aggressive evolution of immature races, and liken their purpose to taking a loaded gun away from a child. But Takashi counters that they are trying to control others based on their own values and reasons. He points out that their analogy of taking away a gun from a child implies an arrogance on their part. Whatever you might think of Takashi and his goals, he's kind of right. Nebula is the outsider here. They may be able to justify it to themselves, as they did to Sensei, or even try to justify it to Takashi, as when they explain why Shiraishi gave them information about fighting the sealing devices. But they are still talking about using force against an entire planet to suppress its inhabitants. Sure, Takashi is talking about doing the same thing. They even have the same goal of creating a peaceful reality without war. But Takashi at least belongs to Earth, grew up there, understands humanity. He proposes to rule and enact justice by monopolizing violence, just like all Earth governments. Nebula, on the other hand, is basically talking about lobotomizing an entire species. And they are doing so without understanding humanity completely. The misspellings on the sealing devices, the belief that they were cute rather than horrifying, even the Generalissimo's surprise at the human desire for conflict. All of these suggest that they shouldn't be quite so certain of themselves when it comes to judging the Earth. They may have banished the dragon for destroying Sirius, but how different is that from what they propose to do to Earth? You're still talking about stealing a people's future from them. Perhaps the sealing faction can sleep better at night, choosing to seal rather than destroy, but what does that have to do with how those affected feel about the decision? This whole mess has one final wrinkle, and that is Soya. As mentioned, he doesn't have a stake in the ideological debate here. He wants to eradicate the dragon's remnants out of revenge. This suits the pacifist goals just fine, and the paladin group warms to the idea over time as well. But there is a danger to wielding force without underlying philosophy. Takizo actually highlights the problem Soya might represent just before they face off in the fifth episode. He asks Soya, who is your enemy and who is your ally? Soya's response is to take no side except his own. His friends are who he wants to befriend, his enemies who he wants to defeat. Takizo replies, a beast then, and Soya agrees. This appears to play out in the sixth episode when Soya fights Takashi. His relentless aggression is surprising. Ginko, who has looked unperturbed or just mildly ruffled through all kinds of situations so far, is basically freaked out at numerous points. Soya is willing to fight through parts of the city, no doubt causing a lot of damage. That is something that the Sealing Faction members gave up strategic advantage in order to prevent. Even Takashi struggles to deal with the unyielding onslaught, spending all of his power and even himself just to try to keep up. Soya even ejects out of Sensei and takes a dragon fist to the face just to punch Takashi with his own hands, or, well, his own clock. So, Soya is not shy about the generous application of force. This may be cause for concern. He is not from Earth, but from Sirius. He is of that people. And while we don't yet know what went down on Sirius, their warlike nature was enough to prompt the dragon to destroy them unilaterally, despite the consequences to itself. 
If we can believe that Takashi's sense of justice mirrored that of the dragons, then we can surmise that Sirius' destruction didn't happen for no reason. We talked last time about the potential danger of going too far to the side of avenging and the implied pitfalls there, even specifically naming the threat that Takashi and Soya faced. In episode six, we saw Takashi take it too far. Should we expect it to be Soya's turn next? Does he know that the dragon was part of Nebula originally? Is there some reason why they keep him from eating meat besides their own pacifist ways? What if he's naturally violent by virtue of being from Sirius? What are they going to do if Soya turns out to be addicted to the use of force? And perhaps most importantly, who presumes to hold authority in this matter? I don't have a conclusion to draw from these observations. The story's dialogue on force and authority is still ongoing. It's as sticky and complicated as drug policy, owing to the huge range of types, outcomes, and reactions to the ability to wield force. So, I thought this was a good chance to point out that this debate appears to be central to the series, and how potentially convoluted it may yet be. There is unlikely to be a simple, neat solution that can apply to everyone. Thus, we can expect our second half to continue the ideological struggle between our characters. Some see the dragon and the force it represents as a tool. Some see it as a threat. Some only consider the way in which the force is used. So, whether to destroy, utilize, banish, or judge, we can expect our cast of characters to continue to chase the dragon. Title music by Russell J. Crowe, other music licensed from the artists at Audio Jungle. Script, performance, and editing by Theta. Theta is played by Redacted. Original video can be found at youtube.com slash C slash nearly on red. And a full list of credits is available at nearlyonred.com. Until next time, thanks for everything.